Well, welcome back to our series called God Is, and um, if you've missed any of the series, I want to encourage you over the last couple weeks to, to go back and catch those, because I think this is pretty important stuff. Everybody repeat out loud after me. God is real. God is truth. And that's what we talked about the first two weeks, the fact that God is real, um, that there is a God, and he wants to have a personal relationship with us. And if you don't realize that yet, I hope that you'll open your heart to that, listen to that message, and let God speak to you. Second, last week we talked about the fact that God is truth. Um, you know, we live in a world of where everything it seems like, well, truth is very relative. What may be true for you is not necessarily true for me. And we go, no, 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 no. There is a truth, and his name is God, and he wants us to live in light of that truth. In fact, there is a measurement that we will be measured by. It's an important point that we need to think about. Again, if you like CDs, CDs are out there. You can go online, either listen to the podcast or watch the video, but I encourage you to do that. Today, I, I want to talk about another Another piece of this of what God is and um, and this I think is going to be maybe a little surprising because you probably some for a lot of us anyway we really haven't thought of God quite this way but here's what I want to introduce it some of you are close to my age or or your your your, your kids who like uh, your children who like uh, uh, old music and stuff some of you see if you recognize this song give it give it to me come on crank it up How many of you are recognizing this? All right, if you know it, sing it. Oh, let's go. And I tried, and I tried, and I tried, and I tried. <laughs> okay, yeah. You remember, you remember when music was good? Oh, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. You remember back when music was good? You remember, you remember that, you know? You remember that song? Well, I, I, when I was working on this, I, I thought of that song because what I want to talk about today is that whole idea of satisfaction. You know, that song was by the Rolling Stones was back in the 60s, which was a, a whole decade of sex, love, and rock and roll. I mean, that was what it was. And uh, it, it was this whole idea, and it was a, a whole culture that were experimenting with drugs and all these things. And here was the deal. No matter how much excitement that you put into your life, no matter how much music you listen to, no matter where you go or what you do, here's the deal. You find that there is nothing in this world that really satisfies. That there is a hole within us that only God can fill, that there is a missing piece in us, that no matter what we try to stick there, it doesn't quite fit. And so that's why I want to talk today about the fact that God is satisfaction. Now, I want you to take your sermon outline out if you want to track along. We'll throw it up on the screen for you. I want to, I want to look at a verse and it's a verse that I found that most people really don't quite understand. We, we misinterpret what the psalmist was saying. Psalm 37 and verse 4. Can you read this out loud with me? Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. Now, most people, when they, when they read that verse, all of a sudden start thinking, oh, yeah, man, go, God. Uh, my desire, my heart is that blonde over there. My desire is that red Corvette. You know, my desire is that uh, five-bedroom house. You know, those, those are the desires of my heart, and God's going to give me all of that. No, 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 that's not what that means at all. 
the, the meaning behind that verse is that it is God who really is our heart's desire. Look at me. God is what your heart is looking for. And so often we don't really understand that. That when we step into the fullness of all who God is, that's what really begins to scratch the itches that we feel down deep in our soul. Now, you think, well, Pastor Steve, what, you know, what does God really satisfy for us? Well, let me give you just a few things. There are probably several more, but let me, let me just give you a few and see if you can identify with a few of these. You ready? First one is this. God satisfies our need for love. God satisfies our need for love. Every single one of us in this room have a need for love. Problem is, we look for love in all the wrong places. Uh, there was a, a story 10 years ago. There was a, a guy in Spain uh, who one day uh, went to his door. He found a letter that was stuck in his door. And when he opened it, uh, it was a really disturbing letter, and it had a picture. And the picture was a picture of his wife who had her hands tied together and her feet were bound. And it was a letter from kidnappers who said, unless you give us $20,000, we're going to kill your wife. And the husband freaked out, and they told him in the letter, if you go to the cops, you know, she's dead. And so the husband decided he, he would follow their instructions, except that he would go to the cops. And so he, he put $20,000 in a bag, and he went to the police, and he told them what happened, and they put a tracker in the bag, and he dropped the bag off at, at the drop-off point and waited to see what would happen. Well, later when the bag was picked up, the police followed the tracker, and when they surrounded the area what it was and they closed in on it, they caught the person with the bag. And guess what? It was the wife. It was the wife. Yeah, yeah. She had faked her own kidnapping and had her husband pay this ransom. And it was, it was crazy. They caught her shopping, of all things. That was what was crazy. They caught her in the, in the middle of this really high-end store in, in Spain. And, and what was funny is that when the police caught her and they arrested her and they said, well, why did you do this? It was crazy. Why, why would you do that? Her response was, I wanted to see how much my husband really loved me. Well, my guess says he probably loves you a little less than he did. You know, you can take $20,000 off of that, out of that account right now. Yeah, but, but the problem is, I think that's the question that we all ask. You know, is, is there anyone who loves me who's all in for me? Is there anyone? I mean, for those of us who are romantics, maybe we watch these movies and, you know, oh, I love you so much. I would climb the highest mountain. I would cross the ocean. I would, I would die for you. you know, and, and all of us have this need inside of us for, for someone who loves us. And here's the problem. There is no human being can, who can love you like you really need to be loved. Yeah, you know, I, I love being married. Once I've been married for 45 years. And I love having this companion in my life who is such a great compliment to all that I am and all that I do. I love having someone to share life with. I'm not talking that love isn't what the human being isn't, isn't an enjoyable thing. It is. But here's the deal. So many of us go into relationships wanting another person to love us like God will love us, and they can't. Only God can love you unconditionally. 
Only God can love you fully and completely. Only God will love you without end. Does this make sense to you? And I'm going to talk in a few weeks, I'm going to talk about this idea of love, and I'm going, to, I'm going to kind of turn a corner with it and talk about how God has to fit in to all of our other relationships. But here's what I want you to know. Until you discover God in all of his fullness, until you not only invite Jesus Christ to be the Savior of your life, but until you step into all that he has for you, you will never really know what love is. Because only God can satisfy that deep desire you have for love. I I love what Paul said to the Ephesians. He said, may your roots go down deep into the soil of God's what? Marvelous love. And may you be able to feel and understand, as all of God's children should, how long, how wide, how deep, and how high his love really is. And to experience this love for yourselves. Though it is so great, You will never see the end of it or fully know or understand it. And so at last, you will be filled up with God himself. You know, John, was he was writing to the church, he he said, uh, 1 John 4, 8, read it out loud with me. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And here's what I want to say. And whoever does not know God does not know love because God is love. In other words, you'll never be able to love the way you ought to love until you know God. And you will never be loved the way you really need to be loved until you embrace the only one in this universe who will love you absolutely, fully, completely, and unconditionally. Amen? Amen. Uh, Second... uh, the satisfaction that God brings to our lives is that God satisfies our need for forgiveness. God satisfies our need for forgiveness. You know, it's so interesting how every single culture everywhere in the world has a, a, a deity that they worship because there is inside of us this awareness that I need to, I need to be right with something out there. There's this thing I need to make right. And so in every culture, whether they know anything about Jesus or God at all, they they make up these things so that because they're trying to to reach down into their soul, they're trying to erase this thing that they feel. They're trying to get rid of, of this guilt that they sense, and they don't know how to do it. That's because God is the only one, again, who can meet that need we have for forgiveness. You know, guilt is such a, a powerful, powerful thing. Um, it's so funny. Many of you are aware that uh, our government actually has a conscience fund. And uh, that fund actually started in 1811 when a guy sent five bucks to the U.S. Treasury because he realized he had cheated the government out of that money and felt bad about it and decided to send it in. And, uh, and that started in 1951. They actually started a for real fund that they started generating that money to. And every year, money is, is given back to the government uh, anonymously most of the time from people who, who just feel guilty because they know they cheated. And it, and it, was, it can be as simple as uh, someone who wrote in, sent a letter, said, I am so sorry. When I left, I worked for the government. When I left, I stole five pens. And, you know, here's 10 bucks to cover those five pens. Or the guy who was in World War II and he said, when I left the Army, I stole three blankets. And here's 20 bucks to cover the cost of those blankets. It's from small as that to one person who sent in, uh, sent in a money order for $155,000. 
I have no idea what they took, but it must have been big. Maybe I stole a tank or something. I yeah, I don't know what it was. But, but it, it was somebody, my favorite, you can, go, you can go online and you can read these, these letters that people write. My favorite one was from a guy who, who said, uh, you know, some years ago I, I, I took some money and I wanted to make sure I, I, had to be, I felt guilty ever since. And so here's, here's $1,500 or whatever he sent in. Here's $1,500 to, to atone for that. And then he said, and if I still feel guilty, I'll send you the rest. <laughs> Might as well send it in now to get it over with, dude. But 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 this whole this whole thing that we 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 deal with 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 this guilt it's it, it's it's inside of us and we need to rid ourselves with it. I, I love what Max Licato said. I think it was in his book uh, Six Hours One Friday. He said our mistakes and sin come to us as pebbles, these small stones that serve as souvenirs of our stumbles. He said, we carry them around in our hands, and then finally our hands are full. And so we begin to put them in our pockets, but soon our pockets begin to bulge. Then we start placing them in a bag over our shoulder, but eventually the bag of our failures is so heavy that we drag it wherever we go. And and they have this guilt that we need to get rid of, and and we got to come back to, you know, God alone can satisfy that. If you know this old song, you remember this, what can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And the whole purpose that God sent his one and only son into this world is so that we could, once again, be right with God. That's what Paul said in Romans three twenty-two. Read it out loud with me. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. This is true for who? Everyone. Look at me. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter how small your sin. Doesn't matter how big your sin. Where sin did abound, God's grace did much more abound. Amen. It's a grace that is greater than all of our sin. You know, Jesus made a statement. He said, he who has been forgiven much loves much. In other words, it's those who have carried a huge weight of sin and found forgiveness by God that really understand the depth of his grace and maybe love him a little bit more passionately than other people do. And I thought of that when I saw this video two weeks ago. Um, this is a, a video clip from a, a prison in Florida. It's a maximum security ward. These are prisoners. This is uh, men who are doing hard time for very, very serious crimes. And yet what you're going to see is a worship experience where 260 prisoners are singing about the grace, great grace of God that they have found in their life. Play that video.
Some of those guys are doing a hard time for being bad singers. I guarantee you that. But did you, don't you love the expressions on their face? Don't you love the heart that they're singing with? These, these are men who have found that, that, that which they were looking for. No matter what they could do to make amends, there is only one thing that can take away their sin. And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Just look at me. I just want you to hear my heart. If you feel guilty... If you're struggling with stuff you have done in your life, you don't, you don't have to go out and try to do a whole bunch of things to, to, to make up for that. You can do, you start with the one thing that God really needs you to do, and that is to become before him. Because the Bible says, when we confess our sin, whatever that sin is, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sin. And he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen? You better believe it. He satisfies our need for forgiveness. Thirdly, God satisfies our need for contentment. God satisfies our need for contentment. Now, I never, I'll never forget uh, years ago, um, playing basketball at the Y in Houston. And uh, one night after I got done playing, I was in the locker room. I'd showered and I was changing and there was a a guy that I knew that was a, a very successful attorney in Houston that was sitting on the bench a few uh, feet away from me, and he was getting dressed. And, and he was a guy who was extremely wealthy, drove a brand-new Mercedes. He had, back in the day when everybody used to wear a lot of gold jewelry and all this kind of stuff, and he had gold chains and a Rolex watch. He had all this stuff. And I, I'll never forget him sitting there and looking over. He had the most forlorn look on his face. And he just looked at me, and I just nodded toward him, and he just shook his head. He goes, Life is hell. And I thought to myself, I'm a young college kid, man, I had nothing, you know. Yeah. And this guy seemed to have everything. And I'm, I'm thinking of looking at this guy, and I said, well, this guy's got everything, man. He's a, he's a successful business person. He's got, he's got a brand new Mercedes. He's got all this gold. He's got a beautiful home. He's got a boat. He's got all of this stuff. He had all of the toys that everybody could ever want. But you know what? He still wasn't happy. And you know people like this. I think one of the saddest experiences of life are people who work so hard to be successful and when they finally get to the top of the ladder of success, they find out it's leaned up against the wrong wall and they feel so empty and they feel like their life means nothing. Yet that's because there is something inside of us that only God can fill that helps us to feel contented and have a peace of mind. You know what's so interesting is in, in my years of being a pastor and, and being in the community now, I've met people who have everything and are absolutely miserable. And I know people who have next to nothing and they're the happiest people on the planet. It's because people have discovered that if you don't have God, enough is never enough. Interesting, Duke University a few years back did a, did a study on what they called peace of mind, and they were trying to find what are the, what are the factors that we discover in people who just really seem to have a, a great sense of life and peace of mind. Here's what they said. They said there's eight of them. The first one was the absence of suspicion and resentment. Nursing a grudge was a major factor in people being unhappy. Secondly, was people to, was not living in the past. They said an unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures leads to depression, which is why forgiveness is so important. They said not wasting time and energy fighting conditions you cannot change. Cooperate with life instead of trying to run away from it. 
Fourth was force yourself to stay involved in the living world. Resist the temptation to isolate and withdraw and becoming reclusive during times of emotional stress because that seems to exacerbate that. Five says refuse to indulge in self-pity when life hands you a raw deal. Accept the fact that nobody gets through life without some sorrow and misfortune. That's what Jesus said. In this world, you will have Troubles, of course. Six is cultivate the old-fashioned virtues, love, humor, compassion, and loyalty, because the happiest people in the world seem to have these. Seven, do not expect too much of yourself when there is too wide of a gap between self-expectation and your ability to meet those goals. You start feeling inadequate and, and, and insecure. And here's eight. Listen to this one. Find something bigger than yourself to believe in. Self-centered, egotistical people score the lowest on any test measuring happiness. Let me read that again. Self-centered, egotistical people score the lowest on any test measuring happiness. And, and I, when I read that, I, I thought of Paul in a prison writing to the Philippians and what he said in chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. It's on your outline. Paul said, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in any and every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. Now, how can he do that? Read it out loud with me. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. Paul believed in something bigger than himself. Paul realized that contentment doesn't ha come with the stuff that you have out here. It's what you have in here. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 6, Read it with me, church. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Let me give you one last one. God satisfies your need for hope. God satisfies our need for hope. I read some years ago that people can live a few weeks without food, a few days without water, a few minutes without air, but only a few seconds without hope. When we lose our hope, we give up. And it's all you got to do is look around, especially right now, and look at how many people are ready to give up. And if you don't know the secret to where your hope can be found, you, you'll find yourself always in these desperate, dark times. Look at me. We have a hope. Amen? We have a hope. No matter what. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know what you're facing. You say, well, Pastor Steve, I, I, you don't know what I'm going through. You don't know where I'm at financially. You don't know what's going on for me relationally. You have no idea what's going on for me health. I know I don't. But I do know a God who's bigger than all of those things. Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 27. He said, Jesus looked at them and he said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. Read it with me, church. All things are possible with God. God. And it's that hope that all things are possible with God that keeps us steady. That's what the Hebrew writers were saying. He goes, therefore, those of we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold on to the hope that lies before us. Read it with me. 
This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. In other words, when everything else is falling apart, when everything else is blowing up, this hope that we have in God, that's what keeps us steady and strong. And I love the way Paul framed it in Romans 4 when he was talking about Abraham. If you remember the story in Genesis chapter 12, God told Abram to leave his home country and go. And he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And it wasn't for 25 years <laughs> that Abraham and Sarah finally had a baby. Can you imagine that? Waiting 25 years on the promise of God. And Abram could have given up anywhere along the way. But I love what Paul wrote. He said, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. We call that faith. Believing that he would become the father of many nations because God had said to him, that's how many descendants you will have. In other words, Abram chose to believe God rather than his circumstances. That's hope. Great story. Uh, some of you may have seen in, in the news. Uh, throw that picture up on the screen for me. That's Andy and uh, Sarah Justice. They live up the road here in, in Tulsa. Um, got married here several years back, and a great couple, love each other, love the Lord. And one of the common commonalities that they had when they got married is that they both wanted children. They both felt like they were just born to have kids. And the uh, problem was, once they started trying to have kids, they weren't able to have kids. And they got disheartened, but they kept praying. And they just kept saying, you know, God, you know, open the door for us. And finally, they went up to St. Louis to see a doctor to uh, have Sarah completely checked out and find out, you know, what may be the problem. And, and when they finally got all the reports back, the doctors said to Sarah and Andy, you know, we're so sorry. The odds, Sarah, of you getting pregnant are actually slim to none. You know, your best bet is in vitro fertilization. And so they, they talked about that. How do they feel about that? And they, 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 they went and they saw a doctor and they began to check that out. And that's when they discovered that in vitro fertilization, if, when you get it, that, that there was actually only going to be for them a 10% chance that they were going to get pregnant if they, got, if they went through the in vitro fertilization process, uh, a 1 in 10 chance, and that most of the time it doesn't happen until you try it several times, and it's thirty dollars to $60,000 every time you try it. And they said, we're going to pass on that one. And so as they prayed, they, they kind of opened their hearts and they said, well, God, you know, we, we just believe you want us to have kids. So, you know, what do we do with that? And that's when they decided that they wanted to adopt. And they discovered that the adoption process wasn't easy. They contacted an adoption agency and they uh, talked about the fact that they, they wanted newborn. They wanted a newborn that they could raise from birth. And uh, the adoption agency along the way had birth moms that would be, get pregnant and then they would, you know, they would choose and they interviewed several times. They weren't picked several times. A um, couple times they were picked, but then a month into the pregnancy or so, the birth mom decided to keep the baby and they began to get, get really, you know, God, you know, what, what are we doing here? And then finally one day the adoption agency called and they said, we think we have a match. There's a mom who read your profile and just loves what she saw, loves the fact that your people of faith, loves your, your family, you know, all this kind of stuff. And so they met with the birth mom, they met with the, and they, they agreed, yes, the birth mom said, I want you to have my baby. 
And so they got all excited. They went home and uh, they began to get the house ready. They began to baby proof it, you know, get all that. They began to get a nursery ready and all that kind of stuff. And, and they were tracking along with the birth mom. And, and, and the, the, finally, a couple months later, they, they went to the, the, the doctor's appointment with the birth mom to see how the baby was doing. And that's when, they, when the doctor was checking and he kept going, hmm, hmm, don't you hate it when doctors do that? Hmm, hmm, hmm. And they were like, is something wrong? And they, they said, is the baby healthy? And he said, yes. All of the babies are healthy. And Andy and Sarah looked at each other and looked at the doctor and said, all of the babies? You mean it's twins? The doctor said, no, I mean it's triplets. <laughs> and the guy from the doctor, they turned to the people in the adoption agency, they said, well, what, what does this mean? And they said, well, it doesn't mean anything except that you get a chance to have three babies. And they were going, okay, well, this is a little more than we expected, but okay. And they got excited about that. And, and, and so they, they continued to track along. And the babies were born like eight weeks early. And they were, they were in the neonatal clinic. And they were healthy, but they were, you know, they were preemies. And so they were small. And, and again, Andy and Sarah were so excited. You know, they were so excited that, you know, we're, now we're going to have three babies. You know, we got this whole family now. And they were, they were excited about that. And then Sarah got sick. And the babies were still in the neonatal center and, and decided we got we to find out what's going on with Sarah because we can't, you know, spread anything to these newborns. And she went to the doctor and they, they checked her out and the doctor came back in. He said, you're pregnant. <laughs> and they're like, what? Are you kidding me? We just adopted three babies. They're in the neonatal clinic. We got three babies on the way, and we're going to have another one. And they were like, are you kidding me? And uh, throw that next picture up on the screen. You know, this is a, these, were the, these were the preemies when they were born. And they're like, oh, my gosh. You know, we're gonna, now we're going to have another baby. And, and uh, a couple months later, uh, Andy was at work, and, and uh, Sarah had a doctor's appointment that day. And she, she calls Andy, and, doc, and Andy says, well, how was the doctor's appointment? And, and everything good? He, she said, yeah. She said, they are fine. <laughs> Andy said, What? I thought you said there. She said, yeah, I did. There, fine. Andy, we're having twins. He said, no way. We couldn't get pregnant. Now we're having twins after we adopted triplets. And she said, yes. And they're like, God, we know you like to bless us, but come on, you know? And sure enough, they ended up having twins. Throw that next picture up on the screen. And there they are. All five of those adorable babies in, in one year, you know, like 2014, they had all five of these, all these, all these tax deductions in one year, you know, pop up on the screen. And, uh, and it was crazy. I mean, they're like going through 300 diapers a week, you know, and 84 bottles a week. Fortunately, they were a part of a great church up in Tulsa, and they were saying, you know, they didn't even ever have to even buy any diapers. People were supplying them with it, and I just came alongside them, and it was, it was so awesome, for about a year and a half. And then Sarah got sick again. Oh, yes. <laughs> she got pregnant yet again. And fortunately, this time, it was just one. And so they went from five to six, which is the quiver. You know, the quiver. Your quiver is full, if you understand that. Big Throw that next minute. There they are, all six, all six babies, all six little kids. Now, I, I, just, I just want you to let this sink in. From a couple who believed 
God had children for him. To a couple who were told, the odds of you having babies isn't going to happen. But who followed their dream enough, followed what they believed to be the call of God enough to choose to adopt. And God blessed them with that adoption (laughs) and blessed them with more. Now, here's all I want you to understand. I don't know what your circumstance is. I don't know what predicament you find yourself in. I don't know what it is you may be facing in your life, but here's what I do know. We serve a God with whom all things are possible. We serve a God who's able to do above and beyond that which we could ever ask or imagine. And if he could do this for them, think what he could do for you. I want you to just bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes. and Just spend a moment with God. And my question to you today is, are, are you letting God meet the deepest needs of your life? Have you been looking for love in all the wrong places? And today, need to lean into the only one who will ever love you fully and unconditionally and without end. Did you get up this morning feeling guilty? Knowing that there's something missing in your heart that needs to be clean. And, and today... Can you confess that to the Lord and just allow his grace to wash over you? Or or maybe you've been living your life trying to just fill it with stuff and you're trying to get higher up in the company and you're trying to get more in your bank account. You're trying to have a bigger house and a nicer car. and, And yet the more you get, the more you find out that just doesn't satisfy that need. It just doesn't scratch that itch. Maybe today, maybe contentment isn't out there somewhere. Maybe contentment is in here. And you need to let God be the satisfaction of your heart. And maybe some of you came in facing circumstances today that you might think are impossible. Today, can you find the faith to believe in a God with whom all things are possible? Rachel's going to lead us in this song. It's just a, I love this song. It just talks about God's ability to lift us up above the storms of our life and And in a matter of the chaos, to be able to speak to us and say, be still and know that I am God. Whatever you need from the Lord this morning, he is the desire that your heart is looking for. I just invite you to come to him. You can pray that where you are. You can pray that in your living room if you're watching online. If there are some of you who are present that'd like to come, you need just a defining moment. You want to kneel or stand here at the altar just to make a moment with God, you feel free to do that. Rachel's going to lead us in this song. And then I'm just going to pray that God would meet us here and satisfy our hearts. Father, it's funny how we look everywhere to scratch an itch that we can't quite reach. We look for love and people. We go from relationship to relationship trying to find that one person who will make us feel complete. And that person doesn't exist. People can add so much great value to our lives, but only after you have quenched that deepest need for love. Lord, you alone can make our hearts clean. You alone can give us the contentment and peace that our hearts are longing for. And you alone, God, are the hope that we need every day in our lives. In a dark and foreboding world, you are the one who can lift us by your hand above it all. 
Father, I pray for today for any person who you've touched with this message that maybe today are stepping into you, asking you to become the full and complete desire of their heart. Wrap your arms of grace and power around them. Fill them to overflowing with who you are. Then they will know it's true. God is satisfaction. In your precious name we pray. And everyone said, amen.